you turn with me now in your Bibles to uh, Genesis, we're going to read our passages from Judges, but I'm going to read a section from Genesis that I think we'll, it will, we'll be referring to uh, in our sermon today, Genesis 32. So turn with me to Genesis 32, verse 22, and then after we read uh, Genesis 32, 22 to the end of the chapter, about 10 verses, we're going to flip over to, Gen- to Judges chapter 13. Hear now the reading of the word of the Lord. The same night he, that is Jacob, arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel and said, Saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because, of, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Now, if you turn with me to Judges chapter 13, and we hear the birth narrative of the judge, the famous judge, Samson. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. There was a certain man of Zorah, the tribe of of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son." Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be called a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him from where he, where he was from, and he did not tell me his name, but he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again 
to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now, when your word comes true, words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean. All that I have commanded, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please, let us detain you and prepare for you a young goat, a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame from the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, would he, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahaneh Dan, between Zorah and Eshtael. Thus sends the reading of the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on the preaching of his word. Father, we do ask that you would bless us, that you would teach us and instruct us as we hear the preaching of your word. May Christ be revealed to us through your word, that your law would call to us in, to repentance, to, to turn from our sin and to flee to Christ. And may your gospel draw us with its promises of life found in Christ. May your Holy Spirit work in our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. I wonder how many of you have had a time in your life where you have had to ask for help. And I wonder if it was difficult for you. Asking for help is probably one of the most difficult things in our human lives to do, is to ask somebody else to help us. Sometimes we know what's involved. We know what we're asking people to do when we ask them to help us because it can take a lot of effort and time and resources for somebody to step in and help us in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. 
and we don't want to trouble them. And we say, I don't want to interfere in your life. I know what this is going to ask. So we just say, I'll either live with whatever I'm dealing with that I need help with, or I'll just go on with life and that will be it. Sometimes we are prideful. We're prideful because we know there is shame associated with revealing the reason for our asking for help. We don't want to ask for help because then people will know what our problem is. Then we'll actually have to deal with whatever problem it is, and we don't want to have to finally deal with it. We want other people to be aware of whatever problems are going on in our life. Well, in a similar way, the people of Israel are in a similar circumstance. There are people who do not want to ask for help. And we will see that clearly from this passage this morning. But it is not an uncommon circumstance just for us, but it's also a circumstance that is common to even the people of Israel as a whole nation, needing to ask for help, needing to call out to the Lord. And that's what I'd like for us to look at and see today as a people who need to call out to the Lord for help and ultimately for salvation. We're going to look at our text in three ways. A nation descends, an angel ascends, and lastly, a child or a savior is born. Couldn't quite get the ascending, descending, and everything back in order. So, But a nation descends. Our text for us begins in chapter 13, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. This is a reversal of the situation that we have seen throughout the book of Judges. Remember, at the beginning, the first half of Judges lists the three judges for us who, at the end of their period of judging, they give people, the land, rest for 40 years. One judge even gives rest for 80 years, a multiple of 40 But now we hear of no rest for the people of Israel after this most recent judge, Jephthah. And in fact, instead of them having rest, now they are given into the hands of their enemy, the Philistine, for 40 years. Life has been turned upside down. They are given into the hand. They are under the power and at the whim of the Philistines, their enemies, But what should strike us about this passage is something that is not happening here. That's not even present in these words. The book of Judges begins in chapter 2 telling us of the cycle that occurs in Israel. Israel goes after the gods of the nations around them. They marry and intermarry with them. And then God gives them over to those nations. And then the people of Israel cry out for deliverance. God raises up a judge to deliver them. And then he delivers them from these foreign nations or these nations that they live among. But one of those elements in that cycle is now missing. And that is Israel crying out for deliverance. The cycle is getting worse and worse. Now Israel finally has acquiesced to their life in the hands of their enemies. They've accepted their condition And it reveals something about the state of Israel at this point in the book of Judges. It's not just that they've accepted life under the hands of their enemies. It's worse. It shows that they have no desire for the Lord. There is no seeking deliverance. There is no asking God for help. 
There is not seeking to be rescued by him or returning to him. This is the new normal for Israel. In chapter 10, they pled for deliverance. They cried out to the Lord, forgive us, we acknowledge our sin. They pled for deliverance. They acknowledged their sin and they put away their foreign gods and said, only this time deliver us. But here there is no plea for deliverance, no acknowledgement of sin, no forsaking of their gods that they have acquired for themselves, but silence. It is an inverted peace. What we see the nation of Israel having now is peace with their enemies. Their life has been turned completely backwards. A nation that has almost utterly forsaken the Lord in their lives. Ultimately, Israel has made peace with their sin. They've grown comfortable with it. And whatever trouble it brings in their lives is not worth being delivered from. Israel here is revealing what happens when we make peace with sin in our lives. We no longer want to be delivered from it. And sadly, as we see what happens here, God gives us over to those sins. Sin, as we have seen before, is its own judgment. Sin is not something we have control over. It is something that we give ourselves to and the Lord lets us have more of it as its own form of judgment. It is a dangerous place for the Christian life where we become numb to our sin. We live in it. We have no sense of its gravity, no sense of its destruction, no sense of its offense to God. We love this world. We want everything of this world to find satisfaction in, and we run to the gods of this world, as we have seen. Sensuality, pleasure, ease. We set these things alongside of, or even over and above, the God of heaven and creation. And we do not cry out like Israel. There's no plea for deliverance, no asking for help for salvation. It's the sad state of Israel. No one is asking to be saved. But something happens. Verse 2. A certain man of Zorah and the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children, and the angel of the Lord appeared. An angel descends, who we will later see ascends. And this angel comes to some people, a certain man and a woman who has no name in this text. And something that's interesting for us as we turn to this change of events is the name of this man, Manoah. Some of you know that that is sharing a name with the famous Bible character, Noah. And it means rest, but here it means a place of rest. And it confronts us. There has been no announcement of rest being given to the land, no announcement of rest for the people. And Manoah is a representation of Israel at rest in its sin. Is he really at peace? A place of rest. But instead of the text giving us instruction about Manoah, it tells us about his wife. That she is barren and has no children a double effect to emphasize her plight in life. 
And we know from the book of Deuteronomy that there were curses for Israel. If they disobeyed the Lord and did not keep his commandments, among the curses that God was going to send upon them for their disobedience was barrenness, that they would not be able to have children. And here we see that God's curse upon the Israelites is coming true. They are suffering the consequences of their disobedience to the Lord. But he comes to this woman and announces to her, Behold, you are barren, but you shall conceive and bear a son. And then she gives some, or then the angel, sorry, the angel of the Lord gives some fascinating instruction about this child, something that's very foreign to us. The angel tells her, be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, eat nothing unclean. You shall bear a son, and do no razor shall come upon his head. He shall be a Nazarite. Now, for many of us, we might have some familiar with what a Nazarite is, but it's important for us to reflect upon what a Nazarite is. Numbers chapter 6 gives a detailed instruction of what's known as the Nazarite vow. It's a temporary vow that people take when they are going to perform some service to the Lord. They would take all these things here. There's one that's not listed here that we will actually see in the life of Samson is that they would not drink strong wine or not drink wine or strong drink. They would separate themselves from the normal joys and pleasures of life. They couldn't touch a dead body. So if your family member died in that time, you were the one who had to handle that process. They were forbidden from that. And they couldn't cut their hair. It was a sign of them being separated to God. And at the end of their vow, when they fulfilled whatever service or duty they had vowed to do, they would cut their hair. And they would go through a ritual of burning that hair. Of Now they have fulfilled their duty. It's a temporary vow made for somebody who is devoted to a special service of God. Some of these items here that are listed were also applied to the high priest. And the high priest had a special service. And so this is what should tip us off. This is a unique child who will perform a special service on behalf of the Lord. But there is something different. The child makes no vow. Samson here is not even born yet. Just the promise that he will be born. From the beginning of his life, his whole life will be dedicated to the Lord. Being set apart for a special task. And we see this ultimately promise at the end. What his special task will be is he will begin to save Israel from the Philistines. So the question is then, what will this child do? What is this child going to do? Well, the text says he's going to begin to deliver from the Philistines. But what's fascinating is when this woman now goes back to her husband Manoah is what she says to him. She reports, I have encountered this man. He's awesome in appearance. And he gives us this instruction, the Nazarite instruction. But she omits one very important detail. What the son is going to do his service, that he is going to begin to save Israel from the, from the Philistines. Manoah responds to this, and recognizing that the child is set apart for a special service, he realizes, I know that a Nazarite vow means this person is going to perform a special service to the Lord, but I don't know what he's going to do. 
Why did his wife not tell him? We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But he asked the Lord, come, tell us what we are to do with this child. How are we to raise him? How are we to direct him in his life? God answers Manoah's prayer and sends the angel of the Lord. But again, the angel appears to the woman. The woman repeats the situation, goes to her husband, says the angel has come. And then Manoah shows back up to this angel and says, are you the one who appeared before? And the angel affirms, yes, that's me. Then Manoah asked the question, what is this child going to do? Manoah said, now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? But what does the angel of the Lord say to Manoah? Does he answer Manoah's question? The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to this woman, let her be careful She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. The angel does not tell Manoah what the boy's mission will be. Manoah doesn't know what the child is going to do. Manoah doesn't know what what Samson's special service is going to be. As far as the text is concerned, the only people that know are the angel of the Lord, the woman, and anybody who's reading this now. Manoah is ignorant. Why does God not reveal to Manoah the mission of this child? I believe it is ultimately because Manoah represents Israel here. Israel is one who is not asking to be saved. We are being forced to reckon with the question, what happens if the angel of the Lord reveals to Manoah what's going to happen? What is his response going to be? I'm going to save you from the Philistines. I'm going to begin this process. But here, Manoah representing Israel, they're not asking for that. This isn't what I wanted. I want a special son who's going to do amazing things, but... Deliver us from the Philistines. We were comfortable here. We are in a place of rest among the Philistines. At the very heart of this section is the question, does Israel want to be saved? Do they want to be saved from their sins? And the text implies here, no. Manoah doesn't really want salvation. But Manoah really thinks he can get this prophet-like figure to give him an answer. And he says to him, let us detain you. This word oftentimes will have reference to locking something up, either stopping water up or even imprisoning or enslaving someone. Let me hold you back so that you will finally give us an answer. Let me offer this young goat to you. Maybe then you will finally give me the answer. But unlike Gideon who offers a goat to the angel Lord as a gift, as a present, Manoah tries to use his power and his skill and his own work to obtain this information. What does the angel of the Lord do to Manoah trying to force an answer out of him? 
the angel of the Lord said to him, if you detain me, I will not eat your food. I will not be put in your debt. But if you offer a pre- or prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. It is not you that can buy me, but it is you showing your gratefulness for what the Lord has done for you, offering to him in thanks. And the text tells us that Manoah has no idea who this is. Maybe he's a great prophet, but if he knew who this really was, he would not have made that request. And then something incredible happens. Manoah asks him for his name. The angel tells him, why do you ask my name, seeing as it is wonderful? Manoah doesn't get the answer. Again, the angel rebuffs him. I'm not going to tell you what the mission is. I'm not going to tell you who I am. But the angel does something incredible. Manoah offered the young goat on the rock, verse 19, to the one who works wonders, and Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. And they fell on their faces to the ground. A miracle. Something astonishing. A wonder. How does this prophet to them all of a sudden rise with the flames up into heaven? And they realize in this moment who they have been standing before. Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord, the one who defended Israel, who would convict Israel of their sin, the one who would defeat the armies of the nations around them, the very presence of the Lord with them. They had seen this angel face to face. And as we read in Genesis chapter 32 of the account of Jacob, there are many parallels here that are important for us to understand what is happening. In the angelic encounter here and the angelic encounter in Genesis 32, there are several parallels. When Jacob wrestles with God, the first thing is he is encountering an angel, the appearance of the angel. Second, both Jacob and Manoah ask the angel for his name. Thirdly, the angel in both accounts responds with the same exact Hebrew phrase, why do you ask my name? Fourthly, the angel suddenly disappears. There's no account given in the book of, in the story of Jacob, what happens with the angel. He's just not there anymore. And here, this angel ascends into heaven. And fifthly, each of them declare that they have seen God. But there is one striking difference between these accounts is the response of each after they have seen God. Jacob says this, I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. Manoah says, we shall surely die for we have seen God. The phrases are complete inversions of one another. Jacob, seen God and delivered. 
But Manoah, I'm going to die for God I have seen. All Manoah can see is death, destruction. He cannot see salvation even when it comes right to his very face. The reason Manoah is not told of salvation is because he couldn't even see it when he himself was spared. All Manoah could see was judgment. And he is like Israel who has forgotten the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and in particular here with Jacob. They had forgotten that they have a God who saves them, who delivers them, who is their sovereign God. They had forgotten his salvation and they had given themselves over to sin. But someone did see. Someone does understand. It's his wife. His wife does see and she gently and mildly rebukes her husband. His wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, He would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. She saw what Jacob saw. The Lord, yes, we saw the Lord, but he spared us. He saved us. I have seen God face to face and yet I have been delivered. The angel ascends into heaven, and here this couple is left to wrestle with this question. Will God save us? The text closes for us in verse 24, and the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. Something is interesting here is the woman names her son Samson, not Manoah. It is an indictment of Manoah that he is not the one who names his son. The woman is the one who names her son Samson. But what does this mean? Now, for us who don't read Hebrew, we might be a little lost. Samson, that's a popular name in Scripture, at least, or a name that we are familiar with. But the name Samson comes from the word son, the Hebrew word Shemesh. His name is Shemshon, Samson. And it means sunny. That's a name that we have, that some people have. Sunny. The sun. He represents the sun. And if we remember what had happened in the situation of Jacob, in the reading of Genesis 32, the breaking of day is beginning, the middle, and the end of that text. Sunlight is about to come, and yet Jacob is caught wrestling with this angel. And she understands that the very end of that text, it tells us when Jacob says, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Verse 31, the sun rose upon him as he passed. A new day had dawned for Jacob. He had been delivered. He had been saved. And this woman reflecting upon the situation, I have just had a circumstance parallel to what Jacob went through. And she names her son, Son, Sonny. A new day has dawned. Here God is providing deliverance for his people. 
and a Savior is then born. And the boy grew, and the Lord blessed him. But there's one problem in this text. Is it this word, to begin? It only appears once in this text and another time in this entire book, at the end of Samson's life, to begin. And that's all it is, a beginning of salvation. Samson would not be the final deliverer for the people of Israel. What the people of Israel needed was a true judge who would deliver and save them from their sins, who would come and fulfill God's covenant that he made with Abraham, that he would save and deliver his people despite their sin, in the face of their sin, who would rescue them, a people who refused to turn to the Lord, who had become enmeshed in their sin. That a God is so gracious and merciful, he would deliver those people. Israel needed that kind of Savior. Well, the good news is we hear of this Savior, Jesus Christ, in the prophecy of Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesies this about his son, John the Baptist, declaring what this child would do and the Savior whom he would announce. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace." Samson is just a picture of the true Savior who has come to guide us, to give the light of the knowledge of salvation. Jesus Christ is the true Samson, the true son of salvation, who shines his light down upon his people. So brothers and sisters, cry out for salvation in Jesus Christ. Do you find yourself in your sin and recognize, I haven't pled for salvation from my sin, or I know my sin and I have not turned to the Lord and asked him for deliverance, today is the day of salvation. Cry out to him, because he is the one in whom the new day is dawning. So turn to him. Turn to Jesus Christ, the Savior who has been born this day to bring salvation to his people. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that you would apply this word to our hearts, that we would run from our sin, that we would fly and seek help from you, our true helper, that we would find salvation in Jesus Christ and in him alone. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.